This week, a drawbridge operator in Maryland recounts a surreal incident involving a massive unknown sea creature towed by the U.S. Coast Guard. A South Carolina mother fears an enigmatic entity lurking in her bedroom at night. And a Swedish boy captures a UFO on camera. Join us as we explore these perplexing encounters that defy explanation and venture into the uncharted territories of the unexplained. Stay curious, stay vigilant, and get ready to embark on this unforgettable journey into Strange Pathways. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I'm having a pretty good week, a little bit of a lonely week, but that ends this week. Uh, but I hope you're having a fantastic week as well. Uh, let it be said that I do have a sense of humor. There's uh, my wife, my wife, the lovely Ariana, sent me this article from The Onion and I've, I've been a fan of The Onion for well over a decade now. But, but this article she sent me, I, I had to post it. It was hilarious. I had to post it up on the Strange Pathways Facebook page, but if, if for whatever reason you can't get to it, here this is. And the article, it's, the picture attached to the article is just a dead alien body. <laughs> Sitting on a table in front of Congress. And the, the title of this, and it's laid out, if you're not familiar with the onion, it's laid out like a newspaper article. House panel didn't expect UFO whistleblower to just dump alien on a table like that. And honestly, it's getting to that point. What else, what else has to be done, right? Washington, shocked by the former intelligence officials' a sensational testimony, members of the House Oversight Committee told reporters Thursday they were not expecting UFO whistleblower David Grush to just dump an alien on the table like that. He didn't warn us or anything. He just said, you want to see some crazy poop? And drop that little guy from a cardboard box from about three feet up, said committee chair, Representative James Comer, who chastised Grush for presenting the panel with the extraterrestrial specimen without so much as placing a hand towel down first. It landed with a splat. And then he said, I got more where that came from in my trunk. It was effed up. The alien was so slimy, I think it ruined the carpet. And at press time, the alien had devoured Representative Tim Burkett. <laughs> That, it's never not funny. Um. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Um, I, I do, I do love stuff like this. You know, it's, the, I, I am okay with having a sense of humor about this stuff. Where, where it kind of, where I draw the line is whenever, Whenever people are chastised for believing this and that, this is, this is quite the opposite. And it's, it's been an incredible couple of weeks. And every day that passes, it's almost like a little bit of vindication for those that have just been 
have, have just had their lives ruined because they had some sort of encounter. And I mean, I don't know if we'll ever get the truth. I don't know if we will get the truth even in my lifetime, but right now I can honestly say in my, in my 49 years of life, I don't think we've ever been closer to knowing the truth about UFOs and extraterrestrial phenomena than we are right now. It's, I mean, it's, it's 10 seconds to midnight. If, if you're dealing with some sort of alien disclosure clock, we are at 10 seconds to midnight. It's, it's an amazing time to be alive. It's a scary time to be alive. That, that old, that old curse. May you live in interesting times. We certainly do. On to this week's tales. Our first tale takes us back to November 29th, 2021, around 11.30 p.m., Knightsville, South Carolina. K.L. is a single mom. And this particular night, K.L. is struggling to get to sleep. It's not a bout of insomnia. K.L. suffers from severe migraines. But finally... Sleep or exhaustion takes KL. KL wakes up from a dream, but she's got that sensation. She feels like there's something in her room. Now, being that KL's a single mother, KL's daughter slept in the bed with her. KL is so terrified by this sensation that she hides both herself and her daughter under the blanket. Now, the daughter, thankfully, stayed asleep the entire night, including including this incident. KL's under the blanket, hiding in terror. Suddenly, she feels a finger pressed down on her forehead right between her eyes. It's, it's not even a small finger. It's, it's as if a large man was pressing his finger right between her eyes. Kale freezes, but that panic sets in. She has to do something. She reaches out from under the blanket and grabs her cell phone beside her bed. And calls her mom. Kale's mother answers the phone. But before, before Kale can even get a word out, the cell phone dies. The call is ended. Kale doesn't have a lot of choices left. So she peeks out of the blanket. And she sees something in front of her. What it is, she's not quite sure. It looks like a mirage. 
She can't see through it. But she can see something is there. This causes KL to panic even more. KL is telling herself, no, you're seeing things. You're tired. You woke up. This is a dream. This is the migraine messing with your vision. So, she reaches out her hand to prove to herself nothing is there. But KL makes contact. She grabs onto the arm and even though, even though the finger that was pressed into Kale's forehead was huge. The arm is thin. KL really, really freaks out. She dials her phone again, but that phone is dead. It will not turn on. And to make things even weirder, it won't turn on, but it's still plugged in to the charger. And then suddenly, suddenly, KL, I don't want to say she falls asleep, but she passes out. And she goes back into this weird hypnagogic dream state. A character from a TV show that, that KL watches often is standing in front of her, trying to calm her down. But KL feels like this entity is just appearing as something she enjoyed. She forces her way out of that dream state, but then is kind of drugged back in. And now she's dreaming that her daughter and her are on the beach. She looks down into the tide pool on the beach. She sees these red and blue tiger's eye stones. She picks them up, puts them in her pocket. And the next thing that she knows... She wakes up. She checks her phone again. It had been charged. It's 4 a.m. and the migraine is completely gone. The next day, KL feels odd, off, lethargic. And she didn't feel threatened or hurt. It just frightened her to wake up to that. Now her daughter now has her own bedroom. KL's daughter has been telling her that she sees a green wavy man visiting her at night. She she's terrified. KL is terrified that her daughter is being visited by this entity. KL might not have been the target. It might have been her daughter. KL has set up a video camera in her daughter's room. But on the nights that KL's daughter experiences these visits, the camera will not record. Is... Kale's daughter haunted. It's extremely possible that instead of a building being haunted or a piece of land, 
that this entity has attached itself to her daughter. But, is this entity a bad thing? I remember reading a story whenever I was younger about this woman being chased by these twisted, vicious, scarred, and bloody entities. And finally, she's she's rescued by tall, glowing, beautiful entities, pure light, long blonde hair. And as these tall entities are taking her away, the scarred up, vicious beings attack them and take her. And as as our protagonist is screaming, the entities are telling her, be not afraid. And they drag her off to heaven. You see, the twisted, evil-looking, scarred villains of the story were actually angels who had carried the scars of a thousand million battles with demons. Maybe this frightening experience that K.L. had. Maybe what she has is a protector. Maybe our guardian angels are not beautiful, gorgeous beings. Maybe they are twisted and damaged and scarred from protecting us time and time and time again. Our next tale takes us back to the winter of 2018, somewhere on the Chesapeake Bay. Our witness, who has decided to remain anonymous, has an interesting job. He is a drawbridge operator. Now, during the summer, the bridge is open quite a bit because vessels are making their way either in, from, or out to the ocean. They, the operators there try not to disrupt the flow of traffic too much. And what they would do is they, they, I didn't know this. I thought you just saw the ship coming. You open the bridge. No, no. They actually get requests. So they, they batch these requests together and then open the bridge every 20 minutes. There's, There is a Coast Guard station near the bridge. The perimeter is incredibly well defended and fenced off. And they take trespassing incidents very, very seriously. Now, since it's winter, the traffic on the bridge is minimal. And the bridge might only open three or four times a day just for the few fishermen that are in the area. It's this very cold winter day, January, and the operator has just taken his shift. They're on nights, and they would be on nights for the next two weeks. 
part of the job is looking over the previous operator's log notes. And he's doing just that. On the outbound log, he notices that a big Coast Guard cutter, along with a bunch of smaller other boats and two tugs, had come through the bridge. He thinks this is a little odd. It takes a few dozen people to man all those crafts. It's the winter. That's unusual. He looks through the logs a little bit more. There had been no distress calls, no SOSs, no maydays. So he just kind of chalks it up to the Coast Guard is conducting a drill or an exercise. He's later into a shift. And he misses a first call over the radio. But he realizes it. He grabs the radio, asks them to repeat their message. And it's the captain of the Coast Guard cutter. The Coast Guard cutter tells the operator, I need that bridge to be open in exactly 13 minutes and keep it open until you get orders to lower it. It's not an issue. Fewer than six cars had crossed the bridge all night. And on top of that, law enforcement, military, they're entitled passage through the canal as needed. They called in with the estimated time of arrival. So whenever the time got close, he logged the communication and opened the bridge. He starts to see the, the bow lights of a small fleet of ships. Six in total. The cutter, two tugboats, three other small craft. These smaller vessels are about 500 feet behind the cutter. Directly behind the cutter, two tugboats side by side. As the cutter passes beneath the bridge and passes one of the cameras that the operator can see from the operator room. Those cameras are so good. The operator can make out a dozen people aboard the craft. And it's good enough that he, he can't believe what he's seeing. About half of them are holding assault rifles. Tugboats came next. Middle of the night. Water visibility is poor. But the operator can make out thick ropes trailing into the water. Behind the tugs. They're, they're towing something unfathomably long. Whatever it is, it's smooth. It has a greenish hue. And a scaly texture. Judging by how fast the tugs were going and how much time it took the, the, this monster to pass by the camera, the operator guesses that whatever they had, this creature was at least 200 feet long. It may have been the lights on the bridge. The underwater noise, the props bouncing off the nearby concrete, but he's, the, the operator's almost certain that this thing 
started to move, kind of swaying back and forth beneath the bridge. Now, one of these guys on the tugboat starts yelling. And this small craft, this tugboat, it's it, it's not really able to maintain a straight path. It's trying. It is trying, but it cannot. The three smaller boats in the back, they start just rip-tearing towards the tugs, kicking up a ton of waves. The water starts churning through the canal in an area about 100 feet long. And on camera, the drawbridge operator sees that one of the tow cables from the tugboat snapped. That tug shot forward, slamming into one of the bridge pilings. The operator hears a quick round of pops, followed by another. He runs over to the door to the office, pushes it open, and from his vantage points, he can see the small boats in the rear of the convoy speeding up to the tugboats. But they're giving that that creature a wide berth. Several of these Coast Guard soldiers start shooting into the water at that creature. The other tug is getting dragged across the surface of the water. One or two times, it looks like this tug may even dip beneath the water, and the cutter is trying hard to turn around. the. But that bridge, it's not giving it any room. Somehow, the line from the other tug snaps. And this massive snake-like tail erupts out of the water near one of the smaller boats, slamming down on the edge of it, causing it to tip. And total chaos erupts. The gunfire stops, but the soldiers in the water are screaming. One of the other boats comes around and picks up the floating crew of the tip boat. The convoy then heads in the direction of the Coast Guard station. Now, whatever it was, that creature, it didn't resurface. The drawbridge operator just, he drops the bridge and plops down to the seat of his desk, ruminating over what's just happened. A few minutes later, a black SUV drives over the bridge, stops right in front of the operating room. Two men get out of the vehicle, walk right in without knocking. One of these men was wearing a U.S. Coast Guard uniform, carrying an assault rifle. The other man is wearing a style of uniform that the operator doesn't recognize. He introduced himself as a U.S. Navy captain. And he says, tell me what you saw. So the operator does. This Navy captain asks a bunch of questions. Did you record anything? Did you contact anybody? No, no. But that bridge, that bridge has a camera system. The Navy captain tells him, thank you for being honest. You were relieved for the night and you're going to get a call from your supervisor to confirm that. 
the the bridge operator doesn't say anything else. Grabs the stuff, heads home, and the supervisor calls him while he was driving. The supervisor sounds just as confused as the operator is. But he tells him he has the next week off with double pay. Which kind of makes me wish something weird would happen at my job. A few days later, the supervisor calls again. Tells that operator there's a new position. Higher pay. Administrative. Refusal isn't an option. He got promoted over this. This is... I, I've often wondered, I've often wondered, what would buy silence better? Would reward or punishment buy silence better? In my mind, a little of both. Keep your mouth shut. Get wealthy. Keep your mouth closed. Stay dead. I'm kind of curious. Would you... Would you, the listeners, would you be more apt to keep quiet about strange events if you were rewarded or if you were punished? Let me know. Head over to the YouTube channel. Let me know in the comments down below. I'm, I'm very curious. Myself, I think I'd be more likely to keep my mouth shut if I was rewarded. And that's just me. I'm a little bit of a head butter. So I think reward would work better for me than punishment. I have a good buddy from Sweden. His, his name is Hakan. Hakan sent me, sent me some stuff to research and who boy is, is everything he sent me a dead end or what? But I, I wanted, I wanted to treat, treat Hakan to something Swedish and I think I've found something good. Akon, Akon had something about a lake monster, but being that I couldn't really Google a lot about it, I, I did find that the people in the article, they were, they were real people, but I couldn't find any of their accounts. I'm still going to search. I will dig up something. I will dig up something. No doubt about it. But for right now, I gave him a little bit of the sea monster in the previous tale. I'm going to give him a little bit of Sweden in this tale. This, our final tale of the night, takes us all the way back to March 21st, 1974. Varnamo, Sweden. Young Christer Sundström is lying in his bed. Home from school with the chicken pox. And he's at a scary age to get the chicken pox. He's 15 years old. That's a little late 
And the older you go, the more dangerous it gets. It's around 11 a.m. And he's looking out of the window of his room towards the neighbor's house. It's not a pleasant day. It's just a dark gray sky. He, he sees what he's thinking is an eagle. It's circling above the roof of the neighbor's house. Christer watches this thing for about 30 seconds and then he realizes, oh, that's up way too high to be an eagle. It's disappeared behind the clouds. A little time passes and it returns. This time, it's much closer. Christer grabs a little pocket camera he keeps by the window and he takes four pictures. Click, 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 click. One, two, three, four. Just like that. Quick, quick. And then it's gone again. In one of Christer's photos, in just one, you can see an odd looking saucer. Now, many have doubted Christer. The saucer isn't alien enough. It's not even symmetrical. The UFO organization Gothenburg Gaikov did its best to reveal the photo as a hoax. They had a photo investigator, Gunnar Bunker. He examined the negatives, found a lighter edge around the around the object. Now, Gunnar interpreted this as proof that the UFO was made of cardboard and taped to the window pane. Christer, later on in life, he, he became a clergyman. Enter one Claus Svon. Claus interviewed the now adult Christer, 20 years later. He's, he's struck by Christer. He's, he finds Christer to be a calm and relaxed man. Very, very serious. He, he does get some interesting facts from Christer. Once two men from a UFO group tried to hypnotize Christer, but they were not successful. Christer, Christer told Kloss that sometimes he doubts the whole thing actually happened. Christer has a strong Christian view of life and doesn't think it's a good idea to investigate these types of things. Not that the craft or the objects themselves are evil, but the power behind them may be hostile. Much as if, you know, a fly may be interested in one of us. And without thinking, we end its life. Christer also says, you know, these... These UFOs, they produce several cults. I don't think that's good. Kloss asked Christer, can you tell me about the incident one more time? And Christer tells him, I was lying home in bed. 
I caught sight of a strange object through the window and circled in the sky. At first, I thought it was a bird. It moved like an eagle. I watched it for one and a half minutes. It was far away. After a while, I got out of bed. I went up to the window. I brought the camera with me. When the object got closer, I took five pictures of it. Four of the negatives were blank. The fifth one was good. The object then ascended, became smaller and smaller, until it couldn't be seen anymore. I felt that this was something unexplainable, something I couldn't understand, something not built by humans, but I can't say if it was a craft. And I didn't tell anyone about this until the pictures had been developed. I then talked to my parents, and at first they laughed, but my father found it interesting. He took the picture, and through a friend of his, the whole thing ended up in the local newspaper. By that time, gradually, I started to doubt what I had seen. My friends at school laughed at me. I had my Christian faith at the time. I read the Bible a lot and tried to find the answer there. Whenever, Christer then goes on to say, whenever the experts looked at the photo and came to the conclusion that it was a hoax, not just a misrepresentation, but a hoax, Christer was very disappointed and very angry. To that very day, Christer claimed that the picture was genuine. But after he was made fun of, after he was called a liar, he even avoided looking up at the sky. There were other times that he tried to convince himself that someone had pulled a joke on him. He lent the camera out to a UFO investigator. He lent the negatives too to Henry Svensson, a, a UFO investigator. It took a long time before Christer got the camera back. Svensson never returned the negatives. A lot of people sent Christer books, phoned him up, wanted to talk to him. UFO groups, people with a general interest. Christer was so disillusioned. He asked his mother, throw the books away. I don't want to read them. And if I ever see anything like that again, I'm going to run, hide, and keep my mouth shut. That's kind of powerful, isn't it? Even though, yes, the photo looks, the photo looks kind of odd. The UFO is not symmetrical. I believe Christer. I believe that what he snapped a photo of is something unusual. And I, my heart goes out to him. It, it is so heartbreaking that this man's life, maybe not ruined, man, it didn't make his life any easier. My heart goes out to Christer.
Thank you for joining us here again on Strange Pathways. If you are having mental health trouble dealing with a paranormal incident, please reach out to the Opus Network at www.opusnetwork.org. That address, one more time, opusnetwork.org. Follow us on Twitter, Pathways Strange, our TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. Come over to our Facebook page. We'll have a few photos up dealing with the incidents today. If you'd like to do so, email us at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. I do try to respond to every email I get in some way. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe over on our YouTube channel. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening again. Thank you so, so much for joining us this week on Strange Pathways. Take care of yourselves and each other. Mm-hmm.